Lord, we love you. We're thankful for this morning, for thankful for an opportunity to be able to worship. And God, we give you praise for all things in the heavens and under the heavens, and we just, we just, um, we just celebrate you this morning in every way. In your name we pray. Amen. Everybody turn your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to look at chapter 2, and I'm trying to, over the next several weeks, uh, we're journeying together to a text that I really would like to deal with. And um, we have, over the last five weeks, been talking about the importance of a seed and the importance of a seed dying and being planted in a soil and being watered. And over the next several months, we will probably visit this all through the Scripture and begin to pull truths out so that we can get revelation about the importance of agriculture in the Word of God. But Exodus chapter 2, 11 through 5, as we move on in the life of Moses, uh, we learned last week that he was raised uh, by his own mother because she was willing to let him go. And then God entrusted Moses back into her hand that she raised him in the formative years, and he learned the ways of his people. And then he was put back in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, and he was actually trained and raised inside um, uh, Pharaoh's home as Pharaoh, one of Pharaoh's grandsons. And he learned their language. He learned uh, about their gods. Uh, he learned about all those things. And um, the ways of Egypt, the, the, their agriculture, they were a large city. And so he learned all those things. And then we get to this point here in verse 11, chapter 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw in Egypt beating in Hebrew one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. Now I, I think that's particularly important that he, we are seeing here that he decided in his mind what he was going to do before he did it. There is always, there is always a, um, um, there is always a decision we make in our mind before we act it out. We always have an opportunity, and a, although the moment may be fleeting, we have an opportunity to decide what we're going to do. And he he decides in his heart and in his mind what he's going to do, and he begins to look this way and that. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian. And hid him in the sand. Nothing will reveal your character like what you do when no one's looking. And I think it's important for us to understand this morning, when you reveal, when you look at your life, uh, when you evaluate your life, when you see who you really are, are you looking at how you act in front of people, uh, in the fellowship of the church, or do you evaluate your life by what you do in private. He said he decided in his mind what he was going to do. He looked this way and that. No one was there. And he killed an Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one of them, uh, who did the wrong? Why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. A lot of killing going on. 
a lot of desire for killing going on. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And so it says in this text that uh, Moses saw an Egyptian taskmaster abusing an Egyptian slave. Now understand this, that he is not a Hebrew as far as he knows. He is an Egyptian. But there was something his mom put down on the inside of him that sparked a flame of frustration in his heart, and he reacted. That all the education and all the training and all the other stuff couldn't get rid of what his mom had put down inside of him in his formative years. So that when Moses walked up on the taskmaster abusing the Hebrew, the Bible says he, called, he killed the taskmaster and buried him. So there's two things that happen. There's two things that happen whenever a crisis hits your life. And I've seen it time and time again in my life, and I've seen it time and time again in the lives of other individuals. A crisis comes to reveal two things. It comes to reveal your virtue, and it comes to reveal your vice. It comes to reveal your strength, and it comes to reveal your weakness. Crisis and tribulation hit your life ultimately to reveal your true character. And so when we get into a place of crisis, how do we go about it? Are we willing to look and evaluate what our virtue is and what our vice is? Moses, we learned that Moses in this crisis is gifted to become a deliverer of the oppressed. That is his virtue. But we also learn that Moses cannot control his anger. That is his vice. Because not only did he kill the taskmaster, but he buried him. Because many of us try to bury what we do. We try to bury our wrongs. We try to bury our hurts. We try to bury the things, our sin. We try to bury those things. And, and you can bury it for a season, but you will be found out. It's better for us to face our vice than to bury it. He tried to hide the situation. He could have stopped to abuse. He could have stopped the abuse without murder. He had the authority to do that. He could have walked down uh, to the taskmaster that was abusing the Hebrew, and he could have said, we're going to stop this. He had full authority to stop it in a manner that was under control, that was, that was well within the right of his uh, disciplinary action, of his authority to do that, but he didn't do that. He murdered someone. It's because he was out of control and filled with anger. And you will see Moses' future, that his ability to control his anger actually ended up costing him the kingdom. So you need leaders and you need friends in your life who will not merely discern your strengths and talk to you about your strengths and, and be blessed because of your strengths, but will sit you down and tell you what's wrong with you. You need friends like this. And in our world, we tend to, to listen to voices that edify our hearts into a place of ineffectiveness. Because we still are filled with anger. And every time God wants to use us, because we have voices around us in our life that constantly talk about how great we are, and we refuse to hear where we are, where we are weak, we are never fully used for God's kingdom. 
And many of us are missing out on living in the kingdom today because we only put voices around us that talk to us about our virtue and are, not, and, and are too scared to talk to us about our vice. So we need leaders and friends who will not just nearly, merely discern our strengths, but will sit us down and talk to us about what's wrong. Every one of us needs somebody to sit us down and tell us, yes, you're gifted, but you're not ready. Yes, you're anointed, but you're too fast. Yes, God's going to use you, but you're too lustful and you're too greedy. And you need someone who can speak frankly into your life and reveal what's wrong with you. So you do not miss the kingdom when it's all over. We look for leaders and friends who merely pat us on the back and build us up and tell us what a wonder we are. But we don't look for leaders and friends who will tell us what's keeping us from becoming all that God wants us to be. And so Moses is caught. And Moses the prince is now Moses the fugitive. Your virtue will take you from a place of being a prince to a place of being a fugitive. Your, your, your vice will destroy your life. And so it's important for us to acknowledge our vice. We all have one. We all have one. We all have those issues in our life. Our willingness to see them positions us to be able to walk in the kingdom in the here and now. Because Moses must leave for the safety of the treasured cities of Pharaoh and has to learn how to live in the desert. Before anyone can do business with God, they must first learn how to deal with the desert. No man or woman can be used by God and not deal with the desert experience in their life. It is necessary. It is a prerequisite. It is required in every man and woman and boy and girl's life that wants to be used mightily for the kingdom of God. Before Jesus, who was the Theanthropos, the God-man, could be trusted with the anointing from heaven. The Holy Spirit led him, and some translations drove him into a desert. Before Paul started his earthly ministry, he was driven into the deserts of Arabia. Before John received revelation, he was driven into the desert isle of Patmos. And before God will use you, he will drive you into the vast and empty wasteland called the desert. It is required. The desert is a place where nothing grows and no one lives. It will teach you two things. It teaches you how to deal with the times in your life where there seems to be no obvious growth in your life. There is nothing more frustrating than living like you're not getting anywhere. There's nothing more frustrating than waking up in the morning and going through the motions and it feels like what, what, what in your life used to be growing, your heart used to be growing, your, your thought life used to be growing, your spiritual walk used to be growing, but there will come a place, it is a desert place, where you don't feel it like you used to feel it. 
I remember preaching when I was first started in ministry, preaching year after year after year about the importance of faith, the life of a faithful believer. See, I thought faith was a feeling. And God drove me into a desert in the middle of my ministry. And I learned that faith was not a feeling, but it was a commitment. It was a disciplined life in spite of how you feel. That's what faith is. It is the choice to wake up in the morning when you feel like staying in bed. It is the decision to do what is right when you feel like looking this way and that so that you can do what's wrong. It is the disciplined life of doing what's right even when you don't feel it. I'm telling you today, we live in a generation that is so edified by what we feel that we cannot be committed and we can talk about faith. But faithful, a faithful generation, what is required in a faithful generation is a disciplined, committed people who will do it do what's right in spite of what they're feeling in the moment, who will lean into their virtue and ignore their vice, who will make their virtue a priority, and they will kill their vice dead. God is calling us to a different type of life. There's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you're not getting anywhere. It teaches us, the desert teaches us that there are times in our life when we feel like we are not growing. There are times when you feel like you're stuck in a rut, doing the same thing over and over again. There are times in your life when you feel like nothing is taking place of value. Then you must learn to be consistent and to live a disciplined life. Just like there are husbands who sometimes don't feel it. Just like there are wives who sometimes don't feel it. Just like there are parents who sometimes don't feel it. As believers, you may not feel it, but you choose to do what's right. You're consistent anyway. I think it's important for us to note that in the apostolic doctrine, we are compared to in the church as a family. I'll be honest, there are days I wake up and I don't feel so husbandry. And I don't still feel so fatherly. But we do what's right anyway. And see, I believe in the church we've made our relationship with Christ more and our relationship with the church more of a feeling than a commitment. <laughs> you will find that most of your life is simply doing the work that is associated with your title. Monotony teaches consistency. And consistency is the greatest gift you could be given. Because it teaches us to be faithful. Let me say it this way. The anointed don't get rewarded. I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. The anointed don't get rewarded. It got quiet in here because there's no one in here, but I believe it might have possibly got quiet in your home because that's challenging for us. Because our church has put so much emphasis on anointing, and I'm here to tell you, I, I want anointing. I value anointing. We preach anointing, but the anointed don't get rewarded. I believe in the anointing. I want the anointing, but let me tell you, I'm not impressed with it anymore. I'm not impressed 
with an anointed life. That it is given without repentance. There are giftings and anointing that is given without repentance. I'm not impressed. Because in the Bible, he never said, Enter thou good and anointed servant. He said, Enter thou good and faithful servant. This is a servant who chooses to do what's right even when he doesn't feel the anointing. It's a committed life. It's in the midst of the mundane and the normal everyday thing that we walk out what God has called us to walk out in our life. This is a life that enters in to dimensions of glory that we all want, that we all desire. The problem with people who are anointed is they always need it to be new and fresh. And you got to put on a good show and it's got to be exciting and everybody's got to feel a goosebump. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that most of the things in the kingdom are just everyday living. It isn't the moments where goosebumps are there. It isn't the moments where everything's exciting. It isn't the moments where everything's... uh, uh, exuberant and crazy and wild and it's in the everyday things of life that God uses us the most that God speaks to us the most that God entertains and engages us the most it's not always exciting it's not always fire burning or fire from heaven but it's the thing that keeps us in the kingdom and people who always want fireworks and stuff like that those people are unstable They're unstable. Let me say this. Anointed people are very rarely faithful. But faithful people are always anointed. Consistency, oh consistency, thou art a jewel. You know how the walls of Jericho fell? The people just kept walking. If you want to overcome the enemy in your life, just keep walking. Walk a life worthy of the calling. Oh, let me tell you something. The calling is often into the desert. It is into the place where it doesn't seem like you're growing. It is in the place where it seems like everything is mundane. It is in the place where you have to be consistent when you don't see it and don't feel it. It is in the place where no one lives. He is driven into the desert to master the monster of loneliness. It is the secret enemy of every man and woman of God. It's the one thing we don't speak about because it reveals our human frailty and our need for men, our need for companionship here on the earth. But if you're going to be anointed, you are going to be lonely. You, you can be married and be lonely. Because there are just some things that who you're married to will not be able to understand. And it is important for us to understand that everybody doesn't have to understand us. There are some things that we carry in our life. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to your wife. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to your husband. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to your friend. But there are some weights that you are called to bear that you should not put on someone else. God has uh, given us a specific weight of glory. There, uh, my wife said it this way the other day because we've been talking quite a bit about this weight that us as a staff, and we're, we're in this church, one of the things we're doing is we're raising up leaders. We believe that we are a house that raises up leaders and sends them out, commissions them to the world, and we believe that's part of what we do. So a lot of what we're talking about here is the importance of ministry. It is the importance of leadership. And whether that's, we're all leaders, whether you're in a home, or whether you have a ministry of your own, or whether you plan a church, or whether you're here on staff here, or you're a volunteer at a leadership level here in the life of the church, I want you to understand, we're trying to help people understand that ministry is lonely. Everyone will experience a desert of their soul where they learn two things. One, we have to understand how to be faithful in the mundane when it seems like nothing's growing. That is a desert moment. And the number two thing is that you will be lonely when you are called. That's part of the deal. My wife, and, and I, part of the loneliness comes from us. I talk to our staff all the time about we got to be careful to not dump on people what God has wired us to bear. And we've seen our staff, me included, put stuff on people, share things with people that will crush them, and then they no longer, either in the kingdom or at this church or whatever, it crushes them because that was a weight that you were called to bear by yourself with God. Now, we don't understand that in the term of the kingdom because we just want to be friends with everybody and we want to have diarrhea of the mouth with anybody we talk to. But when it comes to us as parents, we don't go with a problem that I have with my wife and I don't go to my child to take that to them and tell them about all the problems I'm having with my wife. I don't do that. Why? Because they don't have the frame nor the character nor in their, or the maturity to bear the weight of this conflict on this adult level. Nor should they ever, ever, when they're mature enough, ever have to bear the weight. That's for me to bear alone. Are you with me today? And, and so in the temporal world, we understand there are just some things you shouldn't talk to people about. But in the spiritual world, we have diarrhea of the mouth, and we want to tell everybody about everything we're experiencing, everything we're struggling with, and everything in our life. Let me tell you, and sometimes God wants to be intimate with you, and he wants to have a conversation with you without you having diarrhea of the mouth and telling everybody about your intimate moment. If I went out and started talking, uh, you know, because Brooke and I have had some intimate moments during this quarantine, in case you didn't know, we have. And if I just today started talking about all the intimate moments we have shared, that would be inappropriate. Not only might I lose my job, and the board asked me to step down because I don't know how to speak rightly in the right place, but that's intimate between my wife and I. See, some of you get revelation, and it's an intimate moment that God is sharing with you, and you go kiss and tell every single person because you want to be glorified for encountering him on that level. And we've got to learn how to shut our mouth in our desert moment, and we've got to learn how to get along with God and make it about him and not us being glorified. So you can be married and be lonely. You can be in a crowd of 20,000 folks and still be lonely because there are just some things other people will never understand. You can surround yourself by staff and still be lonely. You can surround yourself by family and still be lonely. 
and struggle with the issue that no one understands the depth of what it is you're dealing with. So God says, before I bring you into ministry, before I release you into any form of of leadership, and before loneliness destroys you, you have to get to a place where you conquer loneliness in the desert. I have seen many ministers be destroyed by loneliness. I've seen many good people, good believers in Christ, be destroyed by loneliness because they did not face their desert the way they ought to. And some of you will never be used by God because you need the approval and the affirmation of people. And God will often call you to make decisions and do things that people will not be happy with. See, leadership is lonely. See, a call, a high call, it says of God that His ways are higher than our ways. And His will is higher than our will. And when we are elevated into leadership, our ways become higher than the ways of the people we lead. Because God sends down the ways and we enact the ways. And when we speak the ways, we do, should not speak it in, over the people that, that they would respond with joy and excitement about where we're going and what we're doing. That we should expect for them to not know our ways. That's what a leader does. I don't expect that when I tell my kid to clean up the room and if they don't do it in, in 24 hours, they're grounded. I don't expect them to be happy about that. I don't expect my kid to be happy when he hasn't done his homework. I'm, not, I'm just seeking theoretical. I'm not saying this has ever happened. Just theoretical. But when he hasn't done his homework, I'm not, I'm not expecting him when I come in and say, you've been, you've, been, you've been dishonorable, you haven't been faithful, you haven't done your stuff. And, 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 and let me tell you, I'm not expecting him to go, you know what, that is my vice. I really don't like doing things on time. I'm glad you shared that with me. Now I feel like a better man. But you need friends, and you need parents, and you need pastors, and you need leaders in your life who will sit down and they will talk about your vice as much as they talk about your virtue. That they will lift those things out and they will say, yes, you're anointed, but you're too quick and your anointing is going to abort The fullness of what God wants to do. Yes, you're talented, but you're too quick and you need to slow down and you need to enter into your desert moment where nothing lives and nothing survives and nothing grows so you can learn how to be faithful when all hell is breaking loose and nothing is going your way. And God's calling us into our desert that we would learn how to be committed and faithful beyond the feelings that we feel. That's what faithfulness is. You will find that oftentimes to be on God's side, you will lose favor with people. And when you stand for right, you will find you are standing alone. The desert teaches you how to become more dependent on God than the response of men. And everybody that's used mightily by God has to go into their desert moment, just as Moses, just as Paul, just as Jesus, the God-man did, just as John on the desert island of Patmos, we all must enter our desert season. Moses is driven into the desert. It says in here that he encounters Jethro. 
if you keep reading, and you can go back and do some more reading. And he tells Moses to take care of the sheep. Now, now listen to me. You need to understand that sheep are abomination to the Egyptians. They're an abomination to the Egyptians. The sheep are the most unclean in the Egyptians' mind. So Moses finds himself pastoring something he was trained to despise. And before he can use you, he has to deal with all of your little pet peeves. Because your pet peeves might prevent you from shepherding the way he's called you to shepherd. Oh, that's good for me. Hold on. As God's child, you don't have the luxury of doing what you like. Your primary call, listen, determines your prophetic call. I'll say it again. Your primary call determines your prophetic call. And if you despise where you are now, God will never trust you with where He wants to take you tomorrow. It is in your faithfulness in this season. It is in your faithfulness in your desert season. It is in faithfulness in the mundane, the the consistent parts of life. It is the faithfulness in your walk when you don't have a title. It is the faithfulness in your walk when no one sees you. It is a faithfulness in your walk when it doesn't seem like you're growing. It is a faithfulness in your walk when it doesn't seem like people even care you are here. That determines your prophetic call coming to fruition in your life. And if you despise where you are now, God will never trust you with where he wants to take you tomorrow. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. See, some of you, wax on, wax off. Feel like you're accomplishing nothing. But it is in the everyday mundane things of life that God is revealing and training and developing in you a character that makes you a warrior for his kingdom. See, you think you're just waxing cars. But God is developing you into something far greater. And had I despised the waxing of the car, I would have never stepped into the fullness of what my heart desired in the first place.